I'm Victoria Cash. Thanks for calling the Lucky Land Hotline. If you feel like you do the same thing every day, press 1. If you're ready to have some serious fun, for the chance to redeem some serious prizes, press 2. We heard you loud and clear. So go to LuckyLandslots.com right now and play over 100 social casino-style games for free. Get lucky today at LuckyLandslots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. You're listening to The Gold Derby Show on The Gold Derby Podcast Network. Welcome back to Gold Derby. I'm Christopher Rosen. I'm joined by Joyce. Hey, Joyce, we have... Another great week of, of, of emails and stuff to read. I think and we're going to, you know, but I think we're going to start with The Killer. Is that what we came up with? David Fincher's new movie on Netflix, Friday. Yes, finally. Um, a movie I can't wait to watch again. I one of my favorites of this year. I went and saw it again uh, in the movies, Joyce. One of the few movie theaters playing it. So are you going to watch it again this weekend on Netflix? Oh, probably not this weekend, but I will absolutely watch it again on Netflix. Mm-hmm. It's a, it's yeah. in my mind, a perfect Netflix movie uh, because it's less than two hours and it's very episodic. There's like six chapters and it's, very it's watchable. Great. Yeah. It's so watchable um, and just so economical and simple and crisp and lean how many other adjectives can I come up with here? But it's like, that's just the way it is. It's, and, and it's just this really fun revenge thriller. So I, this is the Fincher mode that I love. I like it. Uh, it's funny. I actually don't even know if I think it's great, but I love watching it. How's that? Having it's watched a, It's a great dad movie. Yeah, I had a great time <laughs> when I watched it. <laughs> the thing that's fun is like you said, it's like a typical revenge thriller. There's elements of like John Wick, certainly, and like all these other movies that you've seen before, probably in within the movie, including Haywire, which I actually think is like the most uh, analogous to it is Steven Soderbergh's Haywire almost down to the where I know Soderbergh obviously spent a lot of time like with Fincher on this like he like last year and like Soderbergh does like his diary I think he watched it like four times last year in like two days so I feel like he might have been giving notes or I know they have like that kind of collaborative relationship so I do think it's a lot like that movie as well Um, but then I also think it's funny to think about it as a response to Mank and also just in general, like Fincher, it's like, there is like a deeper level to it beyond just like this, like completely uh, perfectionist guy, like, or like, who's like, yeah, a, a lot of people have, you know, said it or, or called it like a metaphor for his career. It certainly is a little, but I was like, this is I'll, I'll, it, not to get into spoiler stuff, but it, it, the movie uh, starts with a botched job. And that is a spoiler, I guess, if you haven't seen the trailer or don't understand the concept. No, of the that's in the movie. log line. That's not a spoiler. If it's in oh. the log line, it's not a spoiler. If it you starts, don't read the log line, that's on you, but it's in the log line. <laughs> it, starts with a log, that, it starts with a botched job. 
where the the killer, the title killer, played by Michael Fassbender, has spent a lot of time on narration. He might only say out loud in the movie like twenty lines, but like there's tons of voiceover. It's kind of like Jason Bourne as Bourne film. <laughs> and like 50 lines. he spends the whole opening of the movie talking about how uh, fastidious he is and how great he is at his job, basically, and then he has a fuck up, and. Uh, it reminded me a little of like Mank and I know because I think Mank is great I do love it still but I know people do not like it and I did think a lot of this movie is like his response maybe to Mank and the whole thing the way it like kind of tie again like not I won't spoil this but I think the way the movie ties into like the way he takes revenge and who he takes revenge on and how it kind of wraps up it does feel like a broader metaphor for like him and then Netflix and like as a filmmaker like all these different things. So there is like a layer of that on top that'll be fun to revisit on many rewatches because like I said, I think it's very watchable. It's incredibly rewatchable. And like you said, it's episodic because he he goes about his uh, revenge plot one by one. Yes, there's chapters. So, and then there are title cards and everything. Yeah. It's great. Love and then the he has different, uh, the, the best running gag is just his different aliases at every stop really great loved it so much just really really fun and yeah michael fassbender is great in the role like his voiceover impeccable there's oscar for best voiceover because we know he's not getting in into best actor no but it like so droll so dry so funny and yeah like you know the whole movie rests on his performance and he just plays it so um and then there's you know the other actors come in in their chapters yes um and they're they're great like tilda swinton really good in her scene really great yeah, people i really like uh, charles parnell was great he played yeah she was really great and then people i'd actually never seen before but i did love including a woman carrie o'malley who plays the the secretary for charles parnell's uh lawyer character Yes, it was quite good. Dolores, uh, Sala Baker plays a key character. Uh, he's the brute choice. If you yeah, remember. there's there's a really really great fight scene in this film. Pretty I love awesome. a fantastic fight scene, and and this delivers. Just uh, yeah, just awesome a lot of good people in it. Uh, Arliss Howard showing up at the end uh, in another key yeah. role. Just like a lot of small parts. And then Fossbender, like obviously the whole time. Uh, this is not a movie. I don't even think, I don't even think Netflix would agree, argue with this. That is going to be like a major Oscar play for them in best pick in top of the line, I would say. Oh no. And um, I was talking to someone a couple weeks ago or even months ago now um, before I saw this and who was like sort of part of the film or like working on the film. And they also were like, yeah, we don't really envision this as like, an oscar play or or they don't you know like if it gets oscar love that'd be great but it's like they don't really expect it to and i was like yeah me either that it just never felt like that to me like it just felt like this really good uh movie that's released in the fall and it's just not gonna get recognized by awards and that's fine like not every great movie is gonna get showered with trophies um you know, I think that's also kind of a symptom of award season. We expect everything that drops in Q4 to be in the running for an Oscar. And this doesn't really have the makings of that. And um, I don't know, like, I think it could, 
like its best hope will be like some crafts stuff right like the editing is great the editing yeah. that would be awesome so it definitely yeah I, I absolutely right it, what you're saying there is true i love my favorite movies of this q4 so far have been all the movies that i think are great and won't get oscar like this and yes. salt burn and stuff i'm just like oh these are just great movies and they're not actually like going for awards that said fincher's history with oscars is a lot is very spotty like we know right and then also he does get a lot of his craftspeople and we've seen that before so editing like you mentioned is kurt baxter who's already won two oscars i don't think he's going to win back to back but i think he could get in i really do if the movie is like like the editing and cinematography which is eric messerschmidt uh score another winner uh, yeah another winner he won for mank uh score is resner and ross i don't think it would get another in winner. uh sound i think could get in it's I, like the supervising senator is ren kleiss who has like nine nominations including for like if you're a Smiths fan, you would also love this movie. So I'm like, I do think there's a world where it could get in. Like, I was thinking, it reminds me a little of, it's not a great comp, but it reminds me a little of like Ballad of Buster Scruggs. Remember how that got like three nominations and it was just like, where did this come from? And how did Netflix get this to get three nominations? And one of those was, I think, a screenwriting nomination. As much as I like Andrew Kevin Walker, and I think, like I said, there's a great layer to the script beyond just the revenge thriller aspect where it's either like auto fiction about Fincher and his career, a response to Mank and how people view him now, or even just like how Gen X has like kind of really sold out, which I think is another great part of this movie. Uh, There's a lot of um, like millennial-esque like uh, shout outs here or, yes. or just uh, touchstones here. Yes. So I feel like also all timely that great. with uh, some news that broke yesterday. We're recording this on Tuesday. Yeah. But yeah. yeah. Um, um, but I don't think it'll get in on like a lot of those things, but like for script, but I do think it can get in these craft categories. I really do. I don't know. I mean, like the problem, like we keep saying with a lot of these movies that we love or that are like movies that in another year might've gotten like a single or one or two like craft nominations is that all the top best picture nominees are going to clog those categories up with their own nominations right like so if sound like how does the killer get in for sound when it's like oppenheimer and kills the flower moon and barbie and poor things and maestro and all these other big movies it's like could be difficult to find room yeah and also obviously now there's just one sound category right um, and then yeah you know like, like same thing with editing right like i i could you know like a dream scenario would be a, a lone editing nomination somehow you know i mean i'm not gonna lie i have thought about putting it in i i have not i but the fact that it's like again like we talk about it's like it's just the branch voting right for the nominees and like yeah. he's obviously like very like kurt baxter is like incredibly well respected within the branch so i think that doesn't necessarily mean he'll get in but it wouldn't be a shock if the branch i could like, see love him to get him in i could see it being nominated at the eddies because you know they have their different genres yes so yeah and like but, same with like cinematography like messerschmitt getting in would not totally shock me mm -hmm. but it's also like category stacked yeah i do think this will be like there's no obviously no data on it so far and like it had a cursory theatrical release to the nth degree over the last two weeks where it's like playing at the Netflix owned and operated and then like Alamo draft house and like other movie theaters. So it's not like it didn't even, who knows how much money it even made. I don't even think they report box office, but I absolutely yeah, think this will be like, 
way and no it's not a knock on like a movie like naiad which came out and on netflix this last weekend this is going to be a movie that's like at the top of that netflix chart for like a week's because i just think it's going to be so watchable and like people are just going to check it out over and over again so i just think it's going to do really well from that aspect and be widely seen and maybe more so than some of their top oscar movies so in that regard maybe it does end up getting in from a below the line standpoint um, I, I do think it, it might, it'll probably hit number one on their, the Netflix top 10. Did, is Nyad in the top 10? I didn't even look. I have not looked. Let's see. Netflix. I have no idea. Um, yeah, uh, it's definitely very broad appealing. And, uh, you know, I guess like unless you're kind of squeamish about violence, but I don't think it's super violent I, in, in, in terms of like gore. I, I'm very squeamish about violence. And I remember before it came out, if you remember, like, I remember when, like, when Venice, I think when uh, Theo, whatever that guy's name was, uh, the guy who runs Venice, Joyce, what's his name? I don't know. That guy. He was like, it's incredible. It's like graphically violent. And I was like, oh man. And I remember talking to somebody at Netflix over the summer being like, how violent is the killer? Because I'm like, I'm a little squeamish on violence. And he was like, oh, it's just like typical violence. And I was like, hmm. And then I watched it. And I'm like, oh, yeah, it's actually not real. I mean, it's like people get shot. And like in that aspect, it's obviously violent, but it's not like graphically violent, I would say. No. And then some of the violence is also played for humor. Yeah. And it's kind of like, oh, shit, like he's going to do this type of. Yeah. It, it, it does a great job of and this is in the editing too ratcheting up the tension i think really well yeah. um mm -hmm. so yeah this is like a movie I, I feel like this is a movie that would get like that we should trumpet and say like it should get these craft nominations and then i'm not willing to actually put it in like a dope so it's like a little i'm disappointed myself but i'm like don't have I'm, it in i'm for also just anyways. trying to be realistic i'm not gonna hope dict it right now <laughs> so I will say I don't. Nobody's ever asked us this, and if you want, if somebody wants to, I'll, I'll, I'm just giving them a free. You're going uh, to ask a fake question. I'm asking a fake question. Somebody should have asked us like what our favorite one scene actors are or this year, and I would say Tilda Swinton because I think her scene is like remarkably good. Well, you mean the main scene because she technically has two scenes. She has two scenes. But but it's she's like, like she, it's one sequence. In the background. It's, she has one, it's sequence. one sequence, and it's like she has a scene with Fosman there. Um, and it's just unbelievably good, I thought. It's like one of my favorite yeah. things she's ever done. And I was like, she'll never get nominated, obviously, for this. It's like 10-minute scene, but not even, probably. I mean, she could, but, but I like, don't Oh, man, she's so good in it. And like, really, really good. <laughs> it's so good. Really well written. Like, a great sequence in the movie. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't really have high hopes for any of the actors. No. Including Kathy, so no. he's, he's great. He'll be a great nominee, but I'm just like, I, I don't see it. <laughs> so funny but, yeah still one of my faves of the year though i think it's probably one of my faves of the year like i said i've like it's just like love watching it i was like it's like an eight <laughs> out of ten probably you know four out of five on the letterbox just like just what, what did you rate it on letterbox four to five okay four to five yeah it's just good good time. do you ever go back after you know always. you have some distance always and so what have you remarked i usually drop i usually drop things down because you, 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 the, the rose-colored glasses are off. Yeah, or just, like, you think about it more. My toughest thing on that is, like, between four and three and four. I feel like I see a lot of three to fours, and then you get three and a half. And so sometimes I'll be like, and this is out of five. And sometimes I'll be like, that was, like, a borderline three and a half. Maybe I'll just say it's a three and a half. And then I'll just, like, think about it a day later, two days later, and be like, it's, like, a three. It's fine. 
I mean, like three and three and a half is how I feel about most movies. Same. Like I give, I'll give you one. I'll give you one that uh, that I did like did this too recently or this year. Holdovers at Telluride. I saw it and I was like three and a half. It's watchable. And then I was like three. It's fine. It's good. People like it. People love if you it. Haven't, you haven't. You didn't see it again. It was just. I didn't you. see it again. A lot time, of times I'll see half. things again. So like the killer, I wanted to see again because I found it like really tense, and so I was like kind of like what's going to happen here now that you know what happens. It's a good, it's a good uh, theatrical experience. It is. It's a good thriller. And I was thrilled. And then I watched it again. And the second time and I'm like, okay, now I can like chill and like be like, oh, okay. I know, I know exactly what's going to happen. Yeah. Here. You're, you know, the plot, you were spoiled because you've yes. seen the movie and yet yes. you still want to watch it again. So. Of course. But then something like the holdovers, I would definitely see again, but it's not like I need to see it because I was like spoiled. You know what I mean? Like there's not like, I was not like hiding my eyes or anything during the holdovers. Whereas in the killer, some of the scenes, I was like, what's going to happen here? How's it going to play out? You know? Um. Well, the holdovers is also opening wide. Yes. This week. Truth, I made a move. Happen. I made a move. What did you do? Well, uh, as you know, I had dropped uh, Paul Giamatti for my of best actor for Coleman Domingo. Or for mm-hmm. Leo, actually, to get Leo back in. Mm-hmm. Now I dropped Coleman Domingo to get Paul Giamatti back in. And this is without seeing the holdovers again. Or Russ. So what, again. what influenced this? Just the general vibes. I mostly operate because, on- I mean, like, it has been, it's being watched because it's been unlimited. So there's- It's the mostly vibes. It's mostly vibes. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know- I think I can make the, I had, I actually, I have made the case for either of them getting in and it's possible they both get in, but I'm just like, I think obviously the holdovers is a stronger movie than Rustin. And so I keep going back to that as like, without Coleman Domingo being able to be out there talking about how great it is to be Coleman Domingo seems pretty fun. Uh, I feel like it's going to be him not to play Bear and and to play the Rustin. I think, if the stag strike ends today or tomorrow or next week, uh, then maybe he'll have a lot of room. But until that happens, I'm just like, man, I think this is the type of performance and movie that needs an actor out there like cheerleading it. And without it, Paul Giamatti and the holdovers actually doesn't necessarily need that. Um, well, Rustin is hitting Netflix next Friday. So right. are you going to put Coleman back in next Friday? Or next week? No, probably not. I I do think that'll be re- really well watched on Netflix. I think that one's going to be like a popular title as well, probably more so than Nyad, even though I think Nyad probably did pretty well. They don't they didn't update their top ten yet, Joyce, because we're doing this on Tuesday. I think they updated on Tuesday, and we're doing this Tuesday morning, so I'm sure it was pretty well watched, or at least in the top. I mean, the number one movie on Netflix for now is Old Dads. Can't say I've seen that one. I have not seen that either. So. And then Pain Hustlers in second. I have also not watched that. <laughs> Same. And it seems like Netflix not as not as not as interested in that one from an award standpoint, at least, I guess. No. Um, so Nyad definitely could probably get in there. Uh I think Russin will do pretty well on Netflix, but I and I could see putting him back in. I just I'm like, it does feel like there's six for that slot. So now you have the same five that I do. I do, which I think is wrong. Cause I think one of them, I think Coleman could get in. But I don't know who to drop for Coleman then. It would be Leo or Paul. <laughs> <laughs> Jeffrey Wright somehow still like six in the odds, I believe. 
Um, but I think he will absolutely. Well, I think, yeah, I think uh, most people just don't update. And on paper, Coleman seems like the safer pick. Um, but you know what? American fiction, it's like they're working it. Orion, Court Jefferson is everywhere. He's really right. Court Jefferson is everywhere. He's everywhere. And people like him and they really like the movie. And so I yeah, think I think I think it's a that. nice discovery for people too. Yes. Like they're surprised by like maybe they go into it like knowing it'd be funny. Maybe they've seen like reviews and stuff, but there is more to that movie um that that is not spoiled in the trailer. There's a lot missing in the trailer for that movie. <laughs> Which I'd be curious to see uh I mean, is talking about what the movie's about. I, I don't even know anymore. People have got me so tied up with these spoiler things, but there's a whole other aspect of the movie that's like a family drama. I think that's not a spoiler to say based on like whatever, but the movie is, the trailer is more also leans into the- About the book. About the yeah. book and the kind of like mockery of progressive morons. Yeah. And and that I think, uh, how would you describe it? I think that that storyline, the book and everything that, it, it it doves tail with the the family storyline yeah um, but obviously this is the selling point when you're trying to market the film but i will say i could see them doing another they're absolutely going to do like another round of marketing that focuses on the family stuff especially because mm-hmm. i just think like that will also help get other people into the movie yeah and also i mean remember the reactions out of tiff were like erica alexander erica alexander and she's not even in the trailer like that whole storyline is completely missing yes. from the trailer as well so yeah, yeah so- I think it's like it's like a good balance between like the satire mm-hmm. of you know the uh just the the commodization of like black stereotypes mm-hmm. and then the, the family drama stuff. And then I also think it works on a third level, which I think is like the family stuff is actually a little like some of the satirical stuff that it's mocking, that it's played straight and then works as its own thing. It's like really well done. Yeah, and the, like, and the ending is great. We have a lot of great endings of films this we year. We do. Yeah. Uh, we'll talk about American fiction in a few weeks, I guess, when it's yeah. closer to coming but, out. But so so now, so where did you put, did you just put Paul back in fifth? Because you're ready to drop him at any... I had Paul, I had, I had him in fifth and I have I had Coleman in fifth. So I just put in Paul in fifth. I have Bradley in first still, then Jeffrey and Killian, and then Leo and then Paul. I'm still, still not convinced Leo is getting in for sure. I don't, I don't believe that at all. I, I, I have him in, but I'm not 100% certain that he is getting in. Um, I still don't know any regular person who's seen Killers of the Flower Moon. My sense is that not a lot have, though they obviously have based on like people have seen it, you know? Well, yeah, it's like, I think, you know, the the Marty stands have seen it, you know, maybe the Leo stands as well. I think it's mostly Marty stands. I, let me ask you this. This is maybe uh, anecdotal and completely bubble bubble driven. But uh, we, uh, when we talk about like movies, theatrical versus streaming, right? In general, people are always like the movie, when the movie's in the theaters, it has much more of a lasting footprint and that, you know, like it helps like people like are paying attention and there's more stuff. And with Flower Moon, I felt like there was so much noise around it going into the release. And now we're two weeks out from the release. And I feel like I don't really see a lot unless it's people being like, Actually, it's not failing at the box office, like we were saying. Like, that's like a big thing now that people want to like defend its box office honor. But I'm like, I don't see a lot of people still reckoning with it in a way I felt like maybe Barbie and Oppenheimer were still still generating like tons of noise about their disc- tons of discourse about the movies, whereas 
the flower moon discourse is now maybe already over because of how much was written beforehand. And maybe that has something to do with the fact that it premiered at Cannes and it was like, people have seen it for months, but now I'm like, it's mostly focused on the box office. I don't know. It just is weird to me based on like what kind of we established what we know about movies and theaters versus just being on streaming. Um, I agree. Like the first week of its release was when the discourse was heaviest about the film itself and like what it means and what Marty was doing and the ending and everything. Um, I think in within the last week, well, you know, we we have, we have a Marty's reaction to the Brendan Fraser backlash. That so was, that was yeah, a that was whole good. other cycle of press. Right. You know, he has that girth. And then, and then, yeah, like you were saying, like over the weekend, it was just like people coming out to defend its box office, which is completely fine for this movie. It's made like 52 million. No one ever expected this to turn a profit on a $200 million budget. And everyone knows this is not why Apple bankrolled this movie. Right. So not for box office. And, um, but yeah, there were like over the weekend, people were just very, very up in arms about a specific tweet. That was just dry box office copy but I just like it, it, yeah, the flip side to that too is like this actually shows the power of like leo and and scorsese i think as box office generators because i'm like if literally anybody else was in this movie i can't i think it would make like way less let's say like i just can't imagine like people lining up to go see a three and a half hour movie if it wasn't like leo and scorsese. oh yeah i i, I, I think it's um maybe not entirely but like a lot of it has to do with them and obviously there was so much anticipation for the movie for years right so but but i do think like before the movie opened because of the reviews and everything and then there was some tracking that was pointing to like 29 million opening week and i'm like it's not touching that (laughs) you know so maybe some people actually thought it could like you know hit like 150 or something i don't know i don't who knows but I, yeah, I think like the discourse has been very like sectioned since like that first week. Does that and matter? You think? Not, not for like the industry. I don't no. think okay. it's like they like they're not following this bullshit. Like, who cares? They have no idea what's going on. <laughs> <laughs> they're they're not on Twitter. Um, and but I guess like it for like the general conversation, this is what it's amounted to, right? Right. It's like it's like every couple of days, it's like some new like fake controversy with this movie. Yeah. I don't know if that's good or bad, I guess, is what I'm trying to figure out. I guess it's but just then a- but that's just like for the, the general public. So I don't right. know, like you think that will impact its Oscar chances? I think oh everything impacts its Oscar. I think everything impacts everything. So I do think that if it's perceived as like a success or like something that people love that helps inside the industry because they want to root people want to root and back a winner i don't know if this is a winner or not but i'm just saying like i think that but i like, don't think it's a loser no it's not a loser and certainly not because the box office but i'm just saying like in general people want to back the movie that has got like everybody excited and i'm not sure if this is excitement that more i don't even i don't know that's the thing but I'm i think i out. think it is it, it's not excitement like barbenheimer but it's like no. excitement in terms of reverence for marty and <laughs> what he did yeah you know and it's like, I think it's like a lot more respect than passion, maybe. I think it is too. 
I'll give you one I saw. We didn't even talk about this, but I just thought of it because you said Barbenheimer. Last week, I went to uh, a special event for Barbie, Joyce. Oh, yeah. Uh, moderated by Tony Kushner. That's, you sure hell I went for that. You know that, right? Yeah. I was like, hell yeah. And you know who loves Barbie? Uh, Tony Kushner. Just raving about it. I mean, when they send that invite, I was like, he probably volunteered as true. He was like, I've seen it multiple times. Called it a yeah. profound piece of political art and made a very strong case for it. And Greta Gerwig and Noah Baumbach were there. And I was just like, this movie could really win Best Picture. Or certainly they could win. I definitely feel like they're going to win an Oscar, though. The two of them. I think for So they'll writing. win screenplay in either category, you're saying? I think they would, honestly. I haven't. I, I think I maybe moved it up to first in original. Let me see if I after did. After that screening? I did. I really did. I was just like, it just feels like, right now I have adapted screenplay American Fiction over Poor Things and then original Barbie over Holdovers. So... I mean, I can see American fiction winning adapted. So I feel I like if, really if the Oscars move move Barbie to adapted, then that lineup is set. I have uh, American fiction, poor things, Oppenheimer, Killers, and Zone of Interest. Yeah, I have that too. If Barbie was an adapted, which, which would you drop? Zone of Interest. I might drop Killers, the flower moon. <laughs> but Zone of Interest probably makes more sense. Um, I, that, I mean, like, I think their, I mean, their narrative of the script is, you know, they they changed it two years in, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, you really could see Barbie winning for Greta and Noah. I just, it just feels like a perfect, uh, perfect Oscar win. How many more Barbie Q and As are you going to go to, and then before you predict the two win every single category? Uh, it depends who's moderating them. I guess I would say. <laughs> But I will say, like, I do think there's a great enthusiasm for the movie. I don't have a winning every category, but I do have a winning screenplay. Um, and I guess costumes. I think I have costumes too. You have cost. I think I have four things. Production design. Oh, I have production design. That's right. I I couldn't see the headlines. I have production design too, which remains yeah. great. Uh, uh, yeah. Just we have so many emails. Should we read some of them? It's slugfest at goldderby.com. Are they fake questions? Like the one you asked before? No, and they're, they're real questions. <laughs> if I was doing a fake one, I would have said, hey, Chris writing in says, uh, you know. You, you, you would, you would use your real name. Yeah, I, always, I don't need to hide behind uh, anything. Uh, let's see. This one is... Uh, from fear-based horniness, which we've read before, I think. Hi, guys. Hope you're doing well. I really appreciate that you read my last email. FYI, my name is a Kimmy Schmidt reference, of course, delivered by the iconic Jane Krakowski. I just saw May-December, and I am obsessed. I would love to see everybody get nominated, but I know that's very unlikely. If the movie were to get nominated for only one Oscar, I think Charles Melton would be a great nominee. He's also well-positioned to be the breakout star, even though he's been around for six years, LOL. Since the Golden Globes now have six nominees, I feel like that could benefit him greatly. And if he does get nominated for a Golden Globe, do you think that his path to Oscars get it easier once his name is officially in the mix? The fact that nobody is predicting Natalie Portman and Julianne Moore for nominations is criminal, but I understand the actress categories are really competitive this year. But I think Charles has a legitimate shot. I'd love it for him. What are your thoughts? So we're just talking about acting for it, right? Because I think it has a chance in screenplay. So I think we do we both have it in for screenplay? I, I do have it. I don't have it in screen. I don't have it in anywhere. I don't I have it in for original screenplay. Uh I think. I did at least. Let me see if I do now still. 
Yes, I do. Um, yeah, uh, but I, I've had Charles in at the Globes before I even saw the movie and before they went to six slots, so. Wow. He he feels like a Globes nominee, doesn't he? It, it does feel very Globesy, uh, which is pejorative, I think, but in this case, not, because he's actually quite good in the movie, um, so. And also not, not a newcomer, not a breakthrough. Not a breakthrough at all. Uh, I actually don't have him in, though, at the Globes. I forgot. I put, uh, wow. Sterling, I put Sterling K. Brown in for American well, fiction. Well, he's he's supporting. Oh, oh, for oh, for American fiction. Yeah. So I have You're I have one of the, with that performance. I have uh, Downey Ruffalo, Gosling, De Niro, Sterling K. Brown, and Willem Dafoe. But I think he could get in there. I I just feel like as as the as the email said, it's just a very competitive year in all these categories. I don't know how he would break in at the Oscars. I don't think it's impossible. I think he's in like five to ten, but it just feels like really tough to imagine. I mean, my thing with supporting actor is I seriously consider just having my Oscar five everywhere. Mm -hmm. um, but like for the Globes, before we learned that there would be six slots, I, I had him in. And then when they added the six, I could have just, I could have put someone else in there. And I was like, I'll just put Willem Dafoe. <laughs> so you could, you could have Sterling and Charles. If, if I drop to. Willem Dafoe, but I feel yeah, like Willem Dafoe I feel like, is... like what are the chances of all five of them hitting everything? It, I guess it, it could, but what I mean, I if you don't like count BAFTA with their, you know, the jury, but what um, I keep wondering is like, it's possible all of them could just hit everything, right? Like you're saying, but is there going to be like, is there a world? I think we talked about this maybe a couple weeks ago, but I'm like, is there a world where like a major person there misses? like a De Niro or De Ruffalo. I don't think it's possible, but it's you mean like- you missed the Oscar or missed one of the precursors? Missed the Oscar. Like hit all the precursors or most of the precursors and then miss at the Oscars because they're going to be a four or five. And then like someone like Charles Melton or whoever, it's like incredible. It gets like a very small amount of strong passion and is like a number one getter and just kind of pushes these people out. Is that possible? I guess anything is possible. Well, I mean, yeah. Cause I think most people have the top four of RDJ. Right. De Niro, Ryan, and Mark. And then I just have double four things. Right. So. so I guess would you say like, is it possible though that like a Ruffalo or De Niro could miss because they're going to be like taken for granted? I mean, one of the four and not Willem Dafoe. Yes, because I think Dafoe could have a lot of passion. I think people who see the movie, like you well, that, that That's why I have both of them. <laughs> right. But I mean, does that make like it harder? Is it possible that one of those people who we've got like locked in misses? I think maybe, but I don't know. I'm not willing to predict it, but. Yeah, but I don't know. I mean, obviously there's, um, you know, I, I think there's both sides of the, the Ryan uh, discourse here. Like people think he's a lock. And then there's some people who think like, oh, he could totally miss because of the type of mood and the type of performance it is, you know? Yeah. So, I mean, you could argue that he might be the most vulnerable of the four. But I, I have him in. And and like Charles, um, it'll be a, a fun nomination. Uh, and I don't know. I don't even know where, like, would I have him in my imaginary sixth slot right now? I don't even know. I don't think about these things. I don't rank, like, to, like, 10 or something. I don't something. either. I would not have him in my sixth slot. I, I don't know. I mean, I feel like I would have Dominic Sessa in six than him because I expect Holdovers to be a stronger movie right? than May, December. So... A lot of people still have Julianne Moore in Supporting Actress. 
I just think she's in sixth place in the odds. Um, I don't have her. And then Natalie is at the Globes, though. I think Natalie's in eighth when we did this last week. Let me see. Tenth, I'm sorry. Natalie. Um, Tough category. Yeah, they're both. It's like if, you know, the color purple doesn't land, then Julianne can get in because that opens up, quote unquote, two slots, theoretically. So Natalie will have a tougher time. Do you have a preference between the two of them in terms of performance in the movie? Um, Natalie. I agree. Yeah. But but Julianne is good, but I'm like Natalie. Julianne to me is like the Leo and Flower Moon ranked. You know, like I would go Lily, De Niro, Leo, and then here I'd go Natalie, Charles, Julianne. All great performances though, but just that's yeah. But again, like I said last week, she's she's not as polarizing as Leo's. No. Uh got another one here we'll read because it goes with what we're talking about supporting actor this is from don why is everyone assuming that robert downey jr is going to win the slam dunk winner who sweeps everything we have in a few months a five-time oscar nominee willem dafoe in the race for context uh michelle williams amy adams and glenn close are the only actors with five noms and everyone always screams when it's there that it is going to be their turn it's been 37 years since his first nomination for platoon the industry re- reveres the man from critics, actors, and audiences. He is literally described as a scene stealer for poor things. The problem he had with Shadow of Vampire, Florida Project, and Eternity's Gate is that he was a sole nominee for the film. Poor Things is a best picture, pet picture winning contender. And let's be honest, only poor things at this point can upset Maestro and hair and makeup. And look at Defoe's face alone. Point is, the man has never won a major precursor in his career, and now should be the time. I bet he'll either upset at the Globes and begin sweeping, or he'll solely win BAFTA. That could be a sleeper. That could still be a sleeper win. If you have Nolan win director, then the package would be to win picture, adapted screenplay, and supporting actor, or maybe Defoe wins with hair and makeup. Thoughts? That's interesting in terms of the hair and makeup. I think, but like, real is that really relevant to Willem Dafoe? chances well we always like, like i think he could win without the, like it winning hair and makeup <laughs> we've talked about a lot recently like that like that it does go together a lot right or at least it could well for, in lead for, in lead but why not supporting i guess would be the thing because it's supporting and like it's not it's not the same you know it's not the same i know but i'm just saying like it could be uh i think i think he can win um i i i like I've said this before, I think I prefer him to Mark in the movie. They're very different performances, and yes. Mark is hysterical. But um, Willem, you know, he's kind of like the emotional center mm-hmm. of the film. It could, you know, it could get like really weird and wacky um, and risque. Um, you know, which some people might might not be too fond of. But uh, you know, he has he has a nice he has a couple nice scenes at the end. And you know what I always say about like making an impression with a good beginning and a good ending. You gotta have a good ending. You gotta. It doesn't matter what happens in the middle. So, um, I, I, I think. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think like way back in the summer, he was actually the highly predicted poor things actor, not Mark. And then it was after Venice when Mark got all these raves that it flipped. Because no, like none of like the the reviews or the reactions, like the tweets, really mentioned William that much. So then mm-hmm. everyone just flipped to Mark Ruffalo, and then he 
you know, is now in second, I think. Um, but I have them both getting in and I, I think he can win. And then the, the argument about Michelle and Amy, I think is kind of different um, for Willem because like, I don't think mm-hmm. while he's obviously a legendary actor, widely respected, I I don't think, you know, he's considered like, like A-list, like, like matinee stars or like marquee names the way that Michelle and Amy are. And I think that's why there's, especially online, there's more of a push for them. And also because they're female, like actresses to win Oscars. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I do think like he has, you know, his own supporters and fans, especially like cinephiles who will love to see him win, but they're just not as vocal as fans of actresses are, you know? I think that's true. I also think this is the, this is not his fault, but I think it's the wrong year for the it's time narrative for him because they're everyone else in the category is it's time, right? Like Downey, uh, Gosling and Ruffalo all would maybe stake claim to that kind of thing as well. Not De Niro because he's obviously won, but I just feel like, well, I mean, numerically, he has the edge over them. Sure, he's got the most nominations, but I think, yeah. like, the the fact is, like, people are like, Downey should have an You know what I mean? Like, it's like, I think that narrative would hold more water if they weren't also involved. Just because Downey doesn't have the nominations doesn't mean he hasn't deserved more nominations. Yeah. I also think there's something about, regardless of how you feel about RDJ's performance in Oppenheimer, I think there's just something that feels Oscar-y about it. Yeah. You know, like, I, I think, like, De Niro is probably better. Like, his performance in Flower Moon, I think I might prefer more to RDJ and Oppenheimer. I haven't seen Oppenheimer since July, so I don't know. But um, but I also haven't seen Flower Moon since June. So, but, like, there's, I, I, I don't know. I think, like, there's something, I, I think I have more, like, visceral reaction to De Niro and Flower Moon this is like I haven't loved them like this since the intern you know um I, and then I think there is but, a little bit of that to the discovery yeah aspect, right or but I think it. there's just something about like like RDJ as Strauss and then the way the character is in the movie um and the turn at the heel turn at the end you know it's there's it it just it feels like very movie starish and something like the the Oscars like and then you know like you said like De Niro has also won before, right? So it's like do they want to give him a third for this? And then you know they already snubbed him for the Irishman when at this point you know four years ago everyone was, pr- was predicting him to get in mm-hmm. <laughs> totally different performances but it's like yeah he is uh, more of like the Pacino performance in Flower Moon compared to the Leo yeah. performance in Irishman. So yeah, and then there's Ruffalo too, who is is kind of like like a younger version of Willem Dafoe, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they're both in the same movie. I don't know; yeah. it's tough. That is really uh, a tough category. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it'll be fun if they split precursors, but again, I could just see RDJ sweeping too. Who do you think will win at SAG? RDJ or Gosling? Um, RDJ interesting this one's from justin subject line is head versus heart i have a theory about best picture at least since the 2009 expansion and especially with the academy membership changes 
The best picture winner will usually tug at the heartstrings unless there is some sort of consensus that a cold movie, in quotes, is basically flawless. I don't think that emotionally affecting movies are worse. Moonlight sure is an emotionally affecting movie after all. But when the widely perceived technically superior movie loses steam, I think this is why. Quote, weird or goofy movies can win if they hit the heartstrings, even comedic ones. But there better not be a single criticism that sticks if your movie is less emotionally driven. Among the contenders this year, then, do you see any movies that are less emotional but basically beyond reproach with voters? And if not, what movie might capture the emotional impact to carry it across the line? Um, and maybe kind of talk about this a couple weeks ago with like, or we have like a similar question about like Oppenheimer and Flower Moon and their endings. Yes. Um, well, I, I think like the emotional aspect, they're both emotional in very different ways. Um, they're, they're not uplifting necessarily <laughs> like flower moon is kind of like a feel bad ending but it's a great ending yes um and but there is like an 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 emotional core to it that's not really tied with the ending it's more tied with like the molly character right you know mm -hmm. I and then there's also like a guilt trip aspect <laughs> to right. it and then I think with Oppenheimer, I think it's the ending is very powerful and that it makes it emotional too. But it's not like crying, right. sobbing, like Coda style emotion. No, I would say this year's race so far to me, if you're looking at like the top best picture nominees, it like kind of goes into a, a couple of buckets at least, or maybe, I mean, like I would say like Barbie, the holdovers and past lives are certainly of a similar ilk in terms of like emotion and like feel good. Poor things is um, kind of in there too, but not exactly. Poor things is a lot of things. And then you have like Oppenheimer and killers are in their own little bubble. Maestro is trying to be in that emotional bubble, but I think it's kind of a tweener. Maestro is very emotional at the end. And then American fiction, I think, would be in that Barbie window or grouping. American fiction is the, uh, you know, trademark term crowd-pleasing movie. Color Purple, I we have not seen. I assume will be in that, like, kind of. I mean, it's a musical. And then the 10th and, 10th and 11th are, like, Anatomy of a Fallen Zone of Interest, which are more, uh, I'd say, a little more cold. Well, zone of interest for sure. Anatomy, I think, is entertaining. It is entertaining, but it's not like. But it's not. It's not. Again, it's not like a happy, like uplifting type of movie. So. So if you're thinking, it's going to be like a feel good versus like a not feel good or whatever. I don't, but like what they were asking is like like versus a cold movie. I don't think any of these are cold. Like they, mm -hmm. that that was like what dogged dogged. Power of the Dog, right? <laughs> Power of the Dog definitely had that. I don't think any of these movies this year has that. The only one I actually would say that does is like Zone of Interest, but I don't think that's going to actually win. Yeah. Um. So it's interesting that this is not like a perfect comp. I I do agree though. In the past, like these have been like one like the 
the type of movie that wins is either got to be like really unimpeachably great or like a crowd pleasing, like kind of like emotional movie. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. Cause that's, that was also like the comp for green book and Roma. And so based you know, on the like, list. like Roma wasn't cold, but I, I think, you know, it's, it's, pro- it's not as like engaging as green book. No. You know, it's just like Green Book is just like, you know, softball up the middle. And so I'm like, this year, I'd say then if you're if you're one of those people who thinks that like the crowd pleaser is always going to, especially in the way this academy is built now with like the consensus and the preferential ballot. If a crowd pleaser down the middle is going to win, then your better shot of winning the movie that's going to win this year is like an American fiction of Barbie, a poor things, perhaps like that's one of that would be what wins versus like an Oppenheimer or Flower Moon. I'm not predicting that. I still have Oppenheimer winning, but I mean, that's kind of how I have it split down or even holdovers, I think would be another obvious option. Yeah, I think um, like like American fiction is probably maybe like the happiest medium of this. Mm-hmm. If you want to be like super reductive about it, I think holdovers, you know, it's it's like a, like a nice Christmas movie mm-hmm. and um, but I I feel like that would win against like super cold movies right. and again like I don't think we really have that uh, well there's also the other you know phenomenon that everyone talks about it's like people like to vote for um, something that makes them feel good or like you you feel good about voting for that thing right and so right. that to me is like, like it could like send a message fiction. you right. know i mean american fiction i think would be that certainly yeah so i mean like there's a lot of important movies i do think it's of. funny that like you could have after all this like the globes could be oppenheimer and barbie winning right there are two respective categories very easily or it could be like american fiction and oppenheimer winning and then all of a sudden it's like American fiction is going to win. And then SAG rolls in with like either Oppenheimer versus American fiction. I think I have American fiction now in SAG. And I do think it'll actually get in there in the ensemble. I think I think I put it in too. I think it's like yeah. a great ensemble, like a lot of people who people enjoy. And it actually is not just the Jeffrey Wright show, even though that's the poster. Um, so I do think it can get in. And it would be like the type of movie, that kind of underdog movie filled with like a lot of actor actors that would win over Oppenheimer. And then all of a sudden it snowballs. Like in you you have it winning. No, I, still, I, I, haven't, I have not, I still have Oppenheimer winning like everywhere, but I'm not sure. I don't, be, I don't actually necessarily believe that. So like, Same. I, I just, so, those are more like, it's most likely to be nominated. Yeah. I, I, but I would not be surprised if American fiction, like kind of pulls up as like this heart versus head option. And that's, it's also both. Yes. That's what, that's what helps, I think. So. Yeah. This one's from KM. Back to the Flower Moon discourse, Joyce. Uh, Great. (laughs) I have a question about whether the Academy honors submissions when they vote. Could a member still vote for Lily Gladstone and Best Supporting Actress? I ask this because I feel that Lily Gladstone submitting a Best Actress fits my description of category fraud. Let me explain. Molly is a supporting character in the movie, and to me that means Lily Gladstone is a supporting actress. I suppose this boils down to whether or not you think the story is most important. I do. Now the category is Best Actress, and Lily Gladstone is definitely the most prominent female performer in the film, the Best Actress in Flower Moon. 
I would love to hear your thoughts on this. Love the show. Have a good one. That's from KM. Well, yes, the Oscars can nominate actors wherever they want. Yes. It's just like SAG, they have designated category submissions. So they're going to submit her in supporting. Uh, the nomcom can only vote for her in supporting for the nomination. Um, you know, that fucked up Kathy Bates for Richard Jewell because mm-hmm. uh, they accidentally submitted her in lead instead of supporting. So maybe if they had submitted her in supporting correctly and she got in, we would have seen her Oscar nomination coming, you know, instead of J-Lo. Mm-hmm. Um, like they, there's been in, like examples of that over the years, but the Oscars, they could put actors wherever they want. That's how uh, Kate Winslet campaign won things in supporting the whole year for the reader. I and the Oscars reader. put her in lead and she won. Because they didn't give a shit about Revolutionary Road, which is what she won the Globe for in lead. Uh, so <laughs> we talked about that on Oscars Playback, a great episode that people should go watch. Uh, the twenty, it was at the twenty ten Oscars, I guess it was right for two thousand. Well, two thousand nine. It was yeah. two thousand eight. Okay, um, right. It was the last year of five. Right. So, great. Um, great. Jackman still the the best host of the century. Just fantastic. Yeah, and then also like similarly, like Keisha Castle Hughes, they were running her and supporting because she's a child. Um, but she got the Oscar nomination and lead. So, so, and then this was something we went through. We've talked about this already a couple weeks ago. Like we went through this last year with Michelle Williams because people were like, they'll defy her campaign in lead and they'll nominate her in supporting for the Fablemans. Multiple like, prominent pundits predicted that to happen and then memory yeah. halted immediately after the nominations. Yeah. So Lily, uh, I think she'll get the nomination and lead. I, I don't think I don't think they'll nominate her in supporting. I think she will too. And having thought about it more, like we talked about, they, they could do whatever they want. And obviously it's well, then her rights to say she's the best actress. And I do think like, it's not, it's borderline, but like, it's not out. It's not egregious to me. It just isn't. So no, it's, it's just like, yeah, like she can do whatever she wants. Yeah. And <laughs> it's not like she's in it for like, no minutes you know no like Tilda Swinton and the killer and she has like a lot of stuff to do and I think by the time she because of the story departs the movie for a big chunk she still has had so much to do that it actually doesn't really like the only like like we've talked about this the last hour the tough thing is like I think she is so good and the most compelling part of the movie so when she's not there the movie kind of dips but then also she's not there because that was the story and I don't really know how to to fix that like I don't even know how I would have like how they could have fixed it otherwise, really? I mean, I think, I, I kind of talked about this a couple weeks ago. Like, I think they could have returned to her after the arrest. Like, yeah, more more stuff with her. Yeah. You know, because it's really kind of framed as, like, through Ernest, like we've said. And then it's kind of, you see more of, like, how he feels about the relationship, the marriage, and, like, everything that transpired um then from her like she she gets like her big moment in their final scene right you know so but but yeah i i don't think they'll like undermine the campaign and, and put her no in supporting so I, the one this year i think that is a great one to watch like we just talked about before is barbie where it's like there's that's a tweener in terms of like is it original or adapted and they're going to run it in original with reason or i think and also Obviously, it's a more, there's more of a chance for it to win in that category, I think. And whether they hold that nomination or not will be interesting to see. Yeah. Well, that, like, the Academy will make an actual designation. Yeah. You know, 
um like with with the actors like we don't know until they announce the nominations right so but but yeah like i i think she'll get in and lead so Here's our old pal, David L. Last week, Joyce, he wrote in, talked about Matthew Perry at the end of his email. And I didn't read it because I had other emails on Matthew Perry. And so David was mad that I didn't read it. I'm just giving you full transparency here. I don't read okay. all. This is, this is, this is the backstory. I'm giving email. you context. I don't read all, everything people write in the emails just because like we're producing on the fly here. You know I mean? Like, it's just like, got to like kind of do some editing and stuff. Anyway, here's David L. I first want to talk about Matthew Perry and I'm happy to read this. And then he has a couple of questions. I first saw him in Joyce's favorite and mine, 17 again, when I was 11 years old. I watched all of Friends right after that summer. I met Matthew once at his book signing last year, and I just really want to say he was an underrated comedic genius that inspired us all to embrace our funny selves and not be afraid to ask for help when we're struggling. And for that, we love him and we'll never forget him. As he said as Chandler in the episode, The One with the Blackout, yes, he was some guy. That's a nice tribute to to Matthew. And gum would also be perfection. And now... David's two questions. My two questions are now that the WGA awards were historically delayed to after the Oscars next year. Do you think the more ceremonies will get unreasonably pushed depending on the length of the strike? And do you think this could affect some surprises or upsets in terms of win at the Oscars with a little rubber stamping to piggyback off on? Tell me your thoughts. It's from David L. Well, um, as we're recording this again on Tuesday, uh, the sex right still on yeah so what will we say after this it could be as my friend joey tribbiani would say a moot point but let's assume the strike is still on uh you know who knows what will happen to the sag awards it's like the studios are now allowed to submit obviously we know this but like what will happen you know the nomcom like what what how will the the strike if it continues affect voting and obviously they could move the ceremony as well so um if i'll just say this if this is still going on in february march like there's way worse things going on than the oscars so i don't think this stuff will ever get pushed but who knows uh what will happen i mean i also you know people were were like i I don't even know what like they were or like, I think some of the reactions to the Writers Guild Awards being pushed was like, oh my God, like now we can't use it to predict the Oscars. Yeah, I like, saw this too. Who cares? Who cares? It, it and also rarely... good, good for the WGA Awards for doing that themselves. Like they should exist as their own awards. Like you shouldn't exist if you're an awards group, you shouldn't exist just to help people predict the Oscars or to help, you know, forecast the Oscars. It also struck me as strange because it's a historically not great comp. I don't re- never well, even yeah, because there's like, going to be a ton of ineligible scripts. There's so many scripts that are ineligible. Uh, there it doesn't you can't really like art like it just is like not really a reliable indicator to me at all. So it, it doesn't matter that it got pushed at all. It's great. Go let them do whatever they want with their yeah. Show. Let them do what they want. They're their own thing. <laughs> Who cares? And like sure, like it it probably won't get a lot of shine in April if the Oscars. I think the Oscars will still stay in March, but I wouldn't be surprised if they move. But yeah, but like you know, no one knows <laughs> the writers go to awards exist anyway, except you know people like us and like film Twitter. You know, like my friends have no idea what it is. Yeah, my that's... friends have no idea what the SAG awards are. So. No. Um, but yeah, everything else, I don't know. I mean, the Emmys, my God. <laughs> the Emmys, they should have just had happen, I think. Yes, they could, they could be having it, you know, this week. 
they should have done that uh but what do you and then the globes is the first sunday critics choice i can see critics choice moving i actually could see that happening too because the whole show is built on the selfies in the crowd and so they can't do that and also like they they just want like more time like that's their whole thing you know yeah and uh more emails at slugfest at goldderby.com slugfests with an s uh you're you're writing this down uh this one is from jane a new emailer joyce uh the killer is out on netflix this week and i heard it has a mcdonald's scene in it who uses mcdonald's better the killer or loki that's from jane uh loki for sure and the the mcdonald's stuff in the killer he's not actually in the mcdonald's like like we have scenes in a mcdonald's and loki like he has a he talks about mcdonald's and then he gets food from mcdonald's and then we see him eat it but not inside the mcdonald's correct and he doesn't eat bread just all ca- no, all it's totally like sociopathic but just makes all sense. protein yeah all protein all protein um, diet for him but yeah protein. uh loki all the way with the mcdonald's uh trace you i i not I, you see did, did they have they done like loki stuff at mcdonald's are they like tying it into well, the- yeah we, we talked like the the sauce remember oh they did that. About are, this, they, are they still doing that though um i haven't gone it since august okay so because the the sauce they branded was sweet and sour and i normally don't get sweet and sour I also make it sound like it sounds like I go to McDonald's every day. I do not. So, right. but since I've been to McDonald's since August, I have not gone sweet and sour, but I still have one more um, Loki branded sweet and sour sauce left okay. because um, I I keep forgetting to get just now their regular sweet and sour sauce as a control to test it because my friend and I could not figure out if it was different. Okay. I think it's the same. I think it's just the same. And they just slap Loki on the sticker, you know? I'm sure that's true. Yeah. I don't think they're doing a Loki. I mean, they, they should have they should have done like some Loki, like a Loki meal or something, or like some. Feels like like yeah. they, they did a whole thing for Grimace's birthday. Not for Loki. Not for Loki. Rude. Uh, this one's from Derek. Hi, Joyce and Chris. Huge fan of the show. Uh, I'm so psyched for Napoleon, and Ridley Stock Scott's New Yorker profile was pretty great. I'm curious what your thoughts are regarding his disregard for historical accuracy when it comes to his films and whether you think this hurts him or Napoleon in the long run. Because I got to find that quote. That was a great moment. And Ridley Scott really- The the quote was just get a life. (laughs) People who complain uh, about uh, the accuracy of his films. Just full on get a life. I am so glad Ridley is back doing press again because- he just gives the best sound bites. He absolutely uh, doesn't give a fuck. Here's he said I, this. I love it so much. Get a life about the historical accuracy. You know, I haven't gotten an Oscar yet. He told the New Yorker, and if I ever get one, I'll say it's about fucking time. Except he said feckin'. I'm sorry, feckin' time. Uh, um, I also really that is a great profile, and I enjoyed how many succession references they were, mm-hmm. but they did not mention Napoleon's penis, which is very rude to eldest son. Wow. They did forget about that. So. Uh, uh, he had another great quote. I remember for the last duel. Do you remember when he had the co- quote about the accents? I feel like he had another one. Well, like, yeah. Cares? 
and which is um, also like a place to hear like who cares with Joaquin's accent mm-hmm. uh just incredible stuff uh love I love, I love it so much, much. I, I really love having Ridley here I, I don't know when he'll ever get nominated for an Oscar if this is the year but uh for director I don't think this will be the year <laughs> sadly um it- I don't know. I don't think so either. But he's got a few left. I, he said he's I mean, doing like, I, we, we, we haven't seen Napoleon yet. So no. I don't know. But he's he's turning them out. So who knows? I will say this. I, I think we, for director, we have, I have, and you might have the same five. Actually, I don't think you do. Um, oh, no, I lost my page. Let me see what I got. Well, I think you, I have, you don't have pain. I don't have pain, right? I have, I have, uh, Nolan, Gerwig, Scorsese, Lanthimos, and Glazer. That's my five. Pain would be an obvious one as well. Yeah, I I still have Pain and Trier. So you have Justine Trier. So that's seven people possible for this. I don't think Ridley's. And then I'd have then there's Bradley Cooper, Celine Song, and Court Jefferson round out like the top ten. And so Ridley's back there with like Litz Bazoule, Ava DuVernay, Ridley, and Todd Haynes. So not. This seems like a little too crowded this year. Yeah. Um, you know, I think Napoleon could probably make a crafts play. Uh, mm-hmm. But in terms of the the historical inaccuracies, I don't think it'll affect anything. <laughs> I will say, like, I don't care about any of this stuff, really, because it just is the movie is the movie. And I don't know. I'm like, I people get mad about, like, a lot of this historical accuracy stuff. I think if it's like, I guess if you're just well, making it's, it's also like we know they they do have to condense things for a movie. We know that. Right. So I guess like it's just funny because like there's a whole chunk of that profile devoted to how meticulous he is about the battle sequences. Like he just wants to make this like the best battle film like ever, you know, all of Napoleon's uh legendary battles. And you know, it's like they have to crack the ice and everything and then you know that of waterloo and all this stuff so it's like he is so fastidious about that stuff and then like he doesn't care about um you know actual like timeline so i just think that's funny but yeah i don't think that will really affect um anything um because it's not like he's the first person to be anachronistic or anything or you know play loosely with facts or um in historical dramas so um but yeah great profile if anyone hasn't read it yet go read it so Mm -hmm. uh we have two emails left Joyce. these are more on the uh sort of the silly side i guess i'll do uh this one first this is from stephanie who i think emailed last week with a sports question or a couple weeks ago so back again chris the mets missed out on craig council when he went to the cubs for a ridiculous amount of money now you've got Carlos Mendoza from the Yankees coming in. What are your thoughts about how this manager search played out? And do you think this bodes well for next season? Joyce, I have thoughts on this. Um, I know you do. You you tweeted a lot yesterday and retweeted a lot of things. Um, first of all, were you expecting counsel? I, uh, I was, but I was not ever excited about him. Um, I was too. Um, I I think I'm more surprised about him going to the Cubs than him not going to the Mets. I, I because was he also... also we also knew like the Guardians were in the running, so it would have like I wouldn't have been surprised if he went to the Guardians, you know. 
So a lot of his thing about this was, I want the most money because managers are underpaid as a position. And I'm and then it's great, like Steve Cohen, you know, loosen the purse strings. We know and this. I'm a great, I'm going to rising tide lifts all boats and I'm going to do a great job for my fellow managers. And I really support managers. And then when you say all that, even if he didn't actually come out and say it, and that was like leaked, right? Like, I don't think he actually personally said that stuff. And then you go to a place where a guy had a job and you force that guy to be fired, I think you lose a little of your moral high ground, I would argue. So I found a little of that like pretty uh, phony, uh, the whole thing where I'm like, I got to set the market for manager, but this guy can get the fuck out. But I found a hard time with that with the Cubs and Dave Ross. So council also uh, did a nice job in Milwaukee for all our three yeah. listeners who care about this. Uh, but I was also like, never won anything. He's won one playoff. No, it was, it was just, you know, got, got close. Got, got close. Yeah. Sure. Got a I'm lot like, of wins. <laughs> he also was not a manager before he was hired. I think he went, he had no managerial experience, certainly, uh, when he got hired by the Brewers. He was a great player and like had a great baseball mind. So I'm like, on that aspect, I'm like, Carlos Mendoza could be the next Craig Council, right? Like, I don't, it doesn't bother me at all. So I, I was fine with this. The one demerit is that I think Aaron Boone, who is the Yankees manager, who had Carlos Mendoza on his staff. He, he is, lost his right-hand man. Is far and away one of the worst managers I've ever seen. And so if this guy is part of his brain trust, that is, gives me a little bit of a pause. But uh, well, did you also see Aaron's comments yesterday? Because he was like, oh, he deserves this. It's time. Yes. And and then he was like, you know, he does have managerial experience in the minors and everything. Yes. So Also, Aaron Boone um, has been thrown out of many games. So this yes. guy has like been yeah. managing the Yankees for at least a 20 games over the last couple yeah. of years and then well also the other thing was with with council was like word on the street was that steve decided not to spend big well i think steve did not want to be used yeah but always oh this has been going back since i was a kid where the top free agents will use the yankees or the mets to get a better offer from somebody else because they know the mets yeah, they, the they want the leverage back to the, the great table. yeah and so I think Cohen is very sensitive to that and has been used before, certainly by like Stephen Matz. Remember, that was like a big one uh, and was like, I'm not doing that with this. So you could take what I give you or you could leave. I don't really need you. And the managers are less powerful now than they've ever been before in the sport, I would say, even though Bruce Bochy and Dusty Baker just were like showing that the old school managers can be good. Yeah. Um. So, I mean, like I'm not... I, I don't know. I guess I have no expectations for Mendoza. <laughs> I mean, having like, watched it, it, managers, like they don't, like, it's funny. They don't do like, based on what everything, the way the sport has evolved, it's a lot of like, they're, the lineups are set by the front office and it's a lot of analytics and data. Yeah, like they're just kind of like facilitating. So they're, they're facilitating the strategy. Yeah. And then also they need to keep the clubhouse in order and have some kind of like you can't lose the clubhouse right like and i think even buck the players liked buck mm-hmm. joe alter but they also didn't care about playing for buck that was my vibe so this guy hopefully will be like they'll care about yeah, it. like i think um or like i think they'll be open-minded to him i think i think like the my sense is like the general knock on him right now is like he has no experience doing this yeah but it's like just you know give him a chance like we'll see i also see a lot of mets fans uh being like he has no experience and then in the same breath being like they should have just hired carlos beltran who has no experience and was hired and then fired because of the it's just like you're just upset because it's not the person you want or expected 
I think it's because he's honestly because he was on the Yankees. I think if it was like, well, yeah, that too. But it's it. also like it's you know, like you gotta like you gotta start somewhere. Like there, there's yeah. always gonna be a first time for someone yeah. or a manager managing a team. Yeah, there's always so, gonna be a first time manager. His. Yeah, everybody. Joe so, Torre yeah, is a first time. Manager. It's definitely the Yankees thing, and then it's like not getting counsel when everyone thought we would right. get him. I'm fine um, with also not spending $40 million. It's not my yeah. money, but I'm fine with not spending that much money on a manager. I don't know. Yeah, you know, keep people on their toes. It's like, yeah. you, like it's like, everyone thought you were going to do this. It's like, plot twist. Nope. And speaking of plot twist, Joyce, here's the last one. It's Lokefest at GoldDerby.com. This one's from Becca, writing about Loki, which the season finale is this week. I've not seen it. Have you? They didn't send out No, creators. they didn't send that out. I don't expect them to send that out. I don't think so, but clearly somebody saw it, because in a Variety article, they talk about... Uh, about Marvel. Oh, the Marvel they, story. Yeah. The Marvel story. They talked about it. Anyway, last week's Loki basically just copied Infinity War Endgame. Which do you think is cooler, both in general and visual on screen? People turning into spaghetti or people turning into dust? That's from Becca. Oh, for sure. People turning into spaghetti. Looks pretty great. That was pretty awesome. Um, Got a lot of that in the penultimate episode of Loki last week. I got to so. say, like, with reason and justified everybody's been down on marvel and especially the way the stuff has looked which it's looked pretty bad but i think loki looks great the production is loki, awesome. loki loki is like their their shining star <laughs> i don't still don't really know what's happening i'd say the writing in the season has been the weakest part we kind of talked about this and the fact that loki was until this last episode so backseat to the story and loki and sophie were so like not doing anything was i think a detriment to the show but it still looks amazing. I think it looks like really good. Yeah, the production design uh, is great. The music, of course, Natalie Holt, our girl, great. Great. Uh, and yeah, like I, I like the the fifth episode, even though it felt like something that could have been done earlier. You know, um, but yeah, it's it was it was just like a good uh, like character build for Loki um but yeah like very very reminiscent of infinity war <laughs> one of the things with the marvel shows and I, even loki i think is guilty of this is that they have never once maybe with the exception of wandavision felt like they were anything but movies stretched to six episodes and like like you're saying like they could have gotten to this sooner like the fourth of this was the fifth episode i guess right this last week the one with the spaghetti and the avengers endgame ripoff and I'm like, they could have gotten to the sooner because it was a movie that they just dragged out, basically. And like that happened with like movies. Well, I think that like that for sure happened with Falcon the Winter Soldier because that was just like three episodes of table setting and then just like wrap it up right now. It's happened like over and over again. I feel like with these, like this season of Loki, Falcon Winter Soldier, Moon Knight, I felt like was like this. And I'm just like, that if they're looking for a reason why these shows are not as successful as the other shows, I think that's part of the reason the thing is i think loki was built to stand on its own and exist on its own because you know like it's 2012 loki like he's in his own timeline the problem is it's like they're so hell-bent on tying it back into the overarching mcu like that's the problem with it like i think if the the film the show were allowed to actually exist on its own and do its own thing and not have to service the mcu and service kang and everything like like i don't think this season two would be what 
we got like I I like I still think the season like in general is good about it like the the plotting of the story is pretty uneven and it's like with everything they're explaining with the temporal loom that like I immediately forget once the episode is over <laughs> just like doesn't... I know in general what's happening and no. I know like in the fifth episode like I th- that's easy to follow now but um yeah it's like they're always tying back into the multiverse and everything and then now there's like such long gaps between things and then also the problem with this phase is like since they've introduced the shows and then on top of the movies um they're you know they're casting these like big name people too to play these new characters and we have no idea when we'll ever see them again <laughs> like Charlie Theron, Harry Styles you know I mean if you read the yeah story last week like all the bullshit with blade Um, yeah it sounds like a mess uh and they're trying to do marvel spotlight now with like echo yeah to make it like you don't have to follow stuff yeah uh the marvels is out this week uh and who knows where that will tie into this i just have no idea really how this will they're promising yeah Uh, like i i thought the trailer last night was so funny because they open it with just a flashback to Endgame and everything, like the like the OG faces, <clears> which the is first, exactly what the Quantum Mania trailer did. The, the first thirty it, seconds it seemed are, like it was a love story between Cap and Ant Man. The first twenty seconds are, uh, hey, remember Endgame? And then yeah, remember like these movies that you loved? <laughs> and then Carol's sitting there like this, yeah, like, thumbs up. And and like, oh, by the way, Tessa Thompson's in this one too. So. It's a, let's see, I'm not the, I don't know. I think there's an opportunity for Marvel to do a nice, I think, little reset or kind of like maybe, but who knows if they're going to do that. Um, Yeah, it's, you know, like that story didn't really say anything that I don't think a lot of people didn't already know slash suspect. Yeah. You know, like it's kind of, you know, been obvious for the past like year year and a half to um and you know quantum mania didn't do that well their their biggest film this year was guardians which was good um, which was good yeah and yeah so now they have the marvels um so i guess we'll see i don't know by the time you're watching this you will have uh the Marvels will embargo will be up and everyone will be able to talk about it, but because we're recording this on Tuesday. And so when we post this on Thursday, people probably already spoiled the movie by then. I mean, less than two hours. I I can't wait to see it. I'm seeing it later. It's less than two hours. It's going to be great. It's the shortest MCU movie ever. Can't wait. So excited. <laughs> we'll talk about that, I guess, next week. We can talk about it, even though I probably will not have seen it by them, and maybe. And uh, we'll do more. I guess we, we got next week we can do... Uh, well, next week it's Rustin on Netflix, so you'll you'll put Coleman back in. Definitely come on and say Coleman's back in, and yeah, uh, yeah, we'll have seen some other big movies probably by then too. Who can say? All right, we'll talk to you then. For all things Hollywood competition and award season, head to goldderby.com and follow us on social media at goldderby. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today 
at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.